Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Passing the Baton, and we'll be looking at the basics of one-to-one discipleship and how to get started on a new adventure of helping younger believers grow up in their faith. You'll never be the same. Well, I want to go back over just a little bit what we talked about. We do have our guests tonight that I will introduce in a minute. But uh, if you have your stages of growth or you want to look up here at the... uh, Someone came up and made the very good observation that when you look at the stages of growth with the focus on first conversion, then uh, confirmation, then commitment and the getting going in the basics, the dribbling, passing, and shooting of the Christian life, then focus on character, contribution, and calling, that very often there's a, a bit of specialization that goes on, and one person may be particularly good in sharing their faith and leading people to Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that they should religiously avoid ever doing anything other than that. It just means that they're going to find that that is happening more often than not. And very often they they lead so many people to Christ that there's no way they could follow them all up anyway. And so they need uh, other people that maybe aren't as good at evangelism, but you give them a, a brand new Christian and they're, you know, they're all eager to meet with them and help them. Other people aren't, aren't really all that strong in these first three, although we're all called to share our faith and help people, but they're very, very good in terms of uh, getting people either growing in their character. It might be because they're in a particular type of ministry. If somebody has a, a ministry in the prison, they're getting men to go with them to the prison to visit prisoners. Well, that, that, there's a lot of character development goes on uh, as you step out of your comfort zone or you go to Nicaragua or something like that. There's a lot of things that you can learn in terms of character in those situations. And then there are other people that are really good at helping people figure out their gifting and getting them plugged in in a certain place. So, you know, you probably have areas that you feel more competent in and that you find yourself doing more uh, frequently and more fruitfully. But that having been said, it's good to know a little bit about all the different ones because sometimes you're all that person has in a particular stage. And so you can't say, oh, well, it would really be nice if someone was here that that was their specialty. But they're not, so sorry. It's like if your child cuts their finger or something like that, well, yes, you are not a doctor, but the doctor's not here, the finger's bleeding, you're going to do what the best you can. Are there any other comments or questions on... Um, on this diagram and on this process. Yeah, as far as what a person's actually experiencing, they're experiencing on a number of different fronts. That's why it's called a focus, because that's what you're focusing on. It doesn't mean that in in these first three they're not learning anything about character. They are, but that's not what you're focusing on. Uh, You'll focus first on them coming to know Christ, because why work on their character if they're not even a Christian? Uh, Then you focus on confirmation because you want to be sure they're a Christian, again, before you expect a lot of life change. And before you get into character, you're going to focus on getting them going, reading the Bible, and praying so that God can begin his work of transformation because they'll take it better from him than they will from you. As far Nobody likes getting, getting help with their character. It sounds great, 
But, you know, getting help with your character a lot of times involves people rebuking you. I mean, what a party is that, you know? So uh, by getting people into the scriptures, it puts them in in an incubator with God so that they can be reading, what does God say? And they'll think, oh, you're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I don't listen, and I talk all the time, and I get mad all the time. I wonder if there's a problem with that. And so God begins to speak to them from the Bible, and it begins to work on their character. So that by the time you do, you do have more of a focus on the character, a lot of things hopefully are already being taken care of, and you can work just on a couple of blind spots, stuff like that. So, again, the point of this is not so much what they're going through, although it does sort of follow their stage of growth, but it's what you focus on at each point. And so when, when the goal is reached that you know, they, they've received Christ and then they're confirmed in their, that they are Christians and there's the uh, evidence there, and then they, you work on the, the basics with them, you can usually figure out with each person that you might be have a chance to encourage, what should you focus on? You can't do everything all at the same time. You have to have some kind of a, like a lighthouse that you're sort of navigating toward at, at, with that particular person because you think that's what would be most helpful to them, yes. And this commitment, where do these things happen? Mostly in private. I mean, do you go sit in the middle of the street in the traffic to read your Bible and have your quiet time? No. You go into your inner room and shut the door and have your coffee, and you're by yourself most of the time, aren't you? And so, who knows if you read your Bible or not? You know, it's don't ask, don't tell in the church. I mean, we don't know. We don't, we don't know if people tie. We don't know if they read their Bible. We don't know if they pray. We take it by faith, and it's probably, in many cases, not even happening. And so it's working on that invisible, private, inner life. And people are used to just working on the outer stuff that's in the show window. Why bother to work on the stuff that nobody sees? Nobody sees it. That's the point. You know? <laughs> that's character. That's integrity. <laughs> and so helping them to learn to value the true person that they are when nobody's looking. You see, what, what have people done for all of these years? They've gotten had all the dirty, ugly, sinful stuff, and they just hide it. And then, whatever few good things there are, they put them out there, and since there's not enough, they make up a few. They fake it, you know, I'll put a few other things so it looks pretty good, looks better, you know. But don't want anybody to ever come and see, well, what's back here? Oh, this is terrible. And God says, you have to, well, first, quit faking it. Okay, take those out. And, and these good things you're doing, he says, I want you to hide those. Okay, put those back in here. And, well, what do I do with all of this junk? He says, I want you to take all that out and confess it and get it out in the light. He says, this is horrible. He says, no, this is Christianity. Don't practice your righteousness before men so that others can see it. When you give, when you pray, when you do those things, do it in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And then as far as the ways you stumble in your own weaknesses, walk in the light. Be willing to, in appropriate situations, admit, that's who I really am. Not much, is it? But God loves me anyway. He's working on me. And you get to be a real person instead of a faker. And even though it seems like it's going to kill you, 
it brings you to a place of peace you never knew you could have. And we, we want plenty of people to get that gift. It's a gift that Jesus gives because we're saved by grace. Well, tonight we have a couple that are visiting us, uh, Nico and Annie Trancini, and they, are, they live in La Plata, Argentina, and they are uh, back in, they just drove over from Texas yesterday, to, yesterday and today, 16 hours to be with us tonight. Uh, that's commitment. You thought you had a long way to drive. Uh, but we did feed him. And I wanted Nico tonight to share with you a bit about his testimony in light of what we've talked about. You became a Christian in 1989, 90? 1990. So that's been 17 years or so. And for him to talk about, remember what was the illustration we used last week? What was the thing I held up? A chain. Why? There are different links in the chain, and, and you're usually don't, there's not any one particular person that does, puts in all the links, that God uses different people at different times in different ways. Might lead, use one person to lead you to Christ and somebody else to help you with the basics and someone else to work on your character, and then he gives you a mother-in-law or something to help you a little further along and whatever. But uh, I thought maybe he could take half the time to talk about how the process of being discipled has happened in his life and the different things or stages or people that God used. And then now he's, where, he's in a discipling ministry there in Argentina and to talk about what's he doing and what does that look like now. So uh, why don't you both stand up so they can see your beautiful bride. They've been married not quite two years. Is that one year? One year and eight months. So welcome them. December 8th. Uh, is a day in Argentina that you are supposed to put together your Christmas stuff, like your Christmas tree and, you know, all your decorations and stuff like that. So it was September 8th in Argentina this past year, and uh, it was time for us to put our stuff there. And we didn't have a... This is like our second Christmas. And uh, so Annie comes to me and she says, Nico, I would like a real tree this Christmas. And I'm like, oh, no. This is trouble. Because you got you got to clean it, you got to buy it, and it was I know it was really expensive. So, but I'm thinking, okay, okay. So you want a Christmas tree? Okay, let's go find a Christmas tree. So we went to different places, and in Argentina, it's not very common at all to have a real Christmas tree. So you get the artificial one. And uh, so I said, no, 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 okay, let's go get one. We went to the place, we searched for it, and uh, we asked how much it was. It was 80 pesos. And we looked at each other and we were like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> so we left the place, and we, but she wanted so badly a real Christmas, Christmas tree that I said, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? I know what I'll do. So come with me. We picked up our little car and we drove to the woods, El Bosque, in La Plata. So we're, wa we're walking by the, the bosque, the wood, and, you know, in this place, you know, all the teenagers and everybody's kissing and... That place, that's what you do there. And uh, the two of us are just kind of going around very slowly with the car, trying to find a real tree or branch, whatever, that we can use as a real tree. And we found this perfect tree. Like, it was perfect. It was awesome for, for a Christmas tree. But there were two guys there just kissing each other like crazy. So 
It's common in Argentina, they're very affectionate. <laughs> you kiss everybody, actually, by the way, and they know, just on the cheeks, right? Not like Russians. So anyway, this, this couple is there, and, and Annie and I, like, we're holding hands, and this is a very special time, and we're just, like, we, we want to find this Christmas tree, so we, we just went there, and we kind of waited until they had their, uh, you know, eyes closed, and we grabbed the branch, and we run, the two of us together, and we got our little branch, and I, I got this pot, and I put the little branch there. And guess what I did today? After, I mean, afterwards. I just went and grabbed a little needle, and I have Annie and I went to this little place and buy popcorn. And I put the popcorn there and got the popcorn. Put some music there, Christmas thing, and, and we're fixing this. And I told Annie, this is what you're supposed to do with your popcorn. You grab the needle with a little, what, what's it called? There you go, you know better than I do. So you, you put the thing, and, you, and basically what we did, and you probably, everybody probably does that here. And we, did, we fixed our Christmas tree just like that with the white little popcorns. And that's basically the way our Christmas tree looked like. It was a branch that we stole from the woods. <laughs> and we run so nobody would see us. And uh, what we did afterwards is that we actually put this thing around it. Now, what does that have to do with discipleship? Well, it has everything to do with discipleship. Because you know what? You know where I learned that? I learned that at their place. And they never even meant to teach me that. Never. I was one one day there were you know, we were living at the same in the same church building, guys on one place, girls in another place, and the two of them uh, were living with their family in this little apartment comp I mean yeah, this little apartment. And uh, one day I just came in with Henry for two minutes. It was a two minute visit and I opened up the door and I saw and I can still picture little Caroline just going like, like this. And the whole family, to me, the whole family looked so happy around that Christmas tree that I never forgot that lesson, ever. What did they do? Not very much. They just opened up their home for someone who was single and in need to see what a Christian family looked like. Uh, he, they, should, they just opened up their door. And I watched that, and they never knew, up until now. They never knew. I learned that from them. And why is that important? Because to me, that communicated how Christmas was an important tradition for us to celebrate it, and how my wife was supposed to be put before my own desires. Because like, to me, it was like, it was just nothing. But they taught me with their lives, as I saw them celebrating their Christmas stuff, that it was an important thing for the whole family to be together and enjoy that time together. They never meant to, to teach me that. And you may put it in your, the, the category you want. You can put it uh, character, you can put it like um, just, I don't know, anywhere you want. But I learned so much in those two minutes when they opened up that door. It's kind of funny, like, when I, one of the things we do in Argentina is we, we have this material that we teach with pastors, and it's basically like pastors who haven't had the chance to go to seminary. So we, we get together like eight, eight pastors, and uh, we do like a small uh, class, and we walk them through a two-year program, and we teach them everything, like hermeneutics, Old Testament, New Testament, systematic theology, everything. 
Okay, these guys are already in ministry, and I'm really young compared to them. Really young. So, the very first day I get there, you know what I do? The very first thing, thing is I tell them, okay, these are my struggles today. These are my sins. This, 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 this. Can you see their eyes going like, what? This is the very first time someone comes to us and, and the very first thing that he or she shares are his sins. You know, between pastors and missionaries and leaders and even among lay people, you don't share your struggles. But that's the very first thing I do. And I tell you why I do that. Because the very first time I went to Henry's place, he had this tiny little room in the side, you know, away, like, it was like five meters away from his house. And he used it like a little place to pray and stuff like that. And uh, one day we, we got together. And he, basically, he, he opened up and he shared some of his struggles with me that I could share. Do you want me to? No, no. <laughs> Revenge! <laughs> No, because he's going to come afterwards and he can share mine. <laughs> so we don't want that. <laughs> but anyway, he opened up and he shared his struggles with me. And my eyes were like, what? Are you a navigator guy who's been in ministry for this many years and you're telling me that you're struggling with this? But suddenly, instead of looking at his failures, I look at myself. I look at myself. And I'm like, I have worse things to say than what you shared. So I started opening up and sharing all my struggles and all the sins and, and he never condemned me or he never said hey you're awful or God doesn't love you at all I mean he wasn't I mean he was so good to me and uh, and that one experience helped me out and uh, uh, just helped me to to open up and realize that I, that I as, as he was sharing like five minutes ago I need to be real I need to open up I need to be like that and uh, and that's what people that I'm training now, they're actually doing the same thing. Because they're learning that from me. Because I've learned it from him. And he's probably learned it from someone else. Um, so I really, really, really appreciate that. Um, another thing that has helped me a lot is that he's driving. <laughs> he, he was like, I drive like crazy. Especially if you're Argentine, like no speed limits. I mean, it's like, it's just free. Like you can do whatever you want. And I would remember when the two of us, like he would be driving his white van and, and I would be right next to him. And he was patient. He never meant to teach me that. Never, 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 never tried to teach me how patient a person is supposed to be. And I, he never thought that I was going to learn that there when he was driving. But he taught me that. And I never, never remember. I never forget. I've never forget. And, and you know, it challenges me. Um... So anyway, I wanted to share a little verse in Philippians. If you can open up your Bibles, if you have them with you. Um, chapter 3, verse 17. I think it really shows a little bit of what, of what Henry was saying a minute ago. Um, it says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen in us. Um, I like what Paul is saying here for two reasons. He's saying, 
One, I am worthy to be followed. Follow my example. Two, he's saying, he's saying that I am worthy to be followed. And maybe there's a verse in First Corinthians 11, 11 that says, it comes in Spanish, it doesn't come in English. Uh, now it comes in nothing. Hold on. It says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So mimic me, basically. In Greek, literally means be a mime. If he's sharing his sense with me, I am supposed to share my sense with the ones that I'm training. If he's putting his family first, I am supposed to be putting my family first. But he's not the only expert that I'm supposed to be mimicking. But I am supposed to be following any other person who is following that pattern. And that's what this verse is teaching. So, and, and Henry, many times, I, I still remember the, this one time, there was this other guy that he knew, uh, his name is Chris Shaw, and so many times he tried to hook me up with him and just say, hey, learn from this guy. Just pick up his uh, suitcase and take, I still remember Henry saying this, just ha call him and tell him that you're gonna pick up his suitcase and take it behind him anywhere he goes. And that's gonna be your ministry, just pick up his suitcase and try to be with this guy, because this guy lives in the same pattern that I am trying to live following Jesus Christ. And he has so much to teach you. And eventually he brought this guy in and he was, he taught us in, in this one church for about a semester or something like that. So this guy uh, actually was uh, another pattern to be imitated by me as well. Another thing that, uh, that I learned that Henry taught me a lot is never go alone anywhere you go. And, and uh, I would see Henry, like we, we lived together, like it was like, I don't know, 30 people, 30 guys living together. And I, like whenever Henry had to leave the place, he would take somewhere with him. Every single time, he would take one guy and drive somewhere with this guy, or one, like one of us, and he would not go anywhere alone. And the chatting when we were driving was amazing. It was really sweet and really special. So I learned that. And now I don't go anywhere alone anywhere alone. I always take someone with me. And I didn't come up with that. I just saw him doing that. It was something that was shown to me, not from the pulpit, not from uh, like from a sermon, but I saw it. And it was very, very special for me. And now I get to repeat the same pattern. And these guys are repeating the same pattern as well. My wife and I, we prepare this short-term trip to Patagonia. It's a 16-hour drive, and uh, yes, which Arnold Schwarzenegger has bought almost entirely. No kidding, he's bought a lot of land there. Anyway, so we we're planning this short-term trip, and everybody's so excited because it's our first short-term trip as a church, and blah 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 blah, and like we're raising support, and like. It would be nothing for you because it's really cheap to do this in Argentina and, and we're setting things up and like we want, we have this evangelism conference and somebody else is teaching this conference and, and, and we're just trying to figure out how we're going to get there and stuff like that. So this is what we did with my wife. We, we said, we have a tiny little car. You don't have those in, in the States. And in Argentina, we use, we don't have a trunk. Well, we do have a trunk, but we have a gas tank this big in our trunk, because gas is so, so. I mean, it's cheaper to use yeah, natural, gas. natural gas. Natural gas, got a big yeah, cylinder. cylinder. 
So anyway, we don't have we don't have a trunk basically, and we're driving down Patagonia, and uh, my wife and I said said this: the two of us are going to get in there, and we're going to grab one boy and one guy, and one girl, and we're going to some way somehow we're going to set the car to where we're going to put everything on the top, and we're going to drive 16 hours down. With this four, like the four of us, the car is going like this. <laughs> All the way down. And the Patagonia wind is coming towards us. And we're going 40 miles an hour. And the car is going. <laughs> it was the best discipleship time ever. These two guys, they were asking questions about marriage. They were asking questions about dating. They were asking questions about God. Nico, how do I interpret this text? And, and we, we had a, a, an amazing quiet time in Jonah. So, and I'm like, I'm, I'm supposed to preach down there. So I'm like, let's read Jonah. So we read Jonah one day, and it was a two-day drive. We, we read Jonah one day, and the following day, we read Jonah chapter 1, chapter 2. And eventually, I got down, and I preached the very same text that we discussed in our quiet time. Amazing. This guy was really, really committed. This girl, eh, sort of. I mean, at the end of the trip, she has fallen in love with this other guy. You know what? You know why? She wasn't super committed at the very beginning, but she got to experience what true, a true com committed Christian is. And she's not looking anymore. Like, before we talked to her, she was like going, like she was thinking, is it okay to date a non-Christian guy? She came to us with that question. Because obviously she was interested in non-Christian guys. And then after this whole trip is over, this guy is not that handsome, but all the girls like him because he's so godly. So uh, anyway, after this whole trip, 16 hours together, this girl is like falling in love of holiness. Not of this cute guy, not of this handsome guy. He fell in love of holiness. And we, and we talked about all these things just because one day I learned you don't go alone to this place. We went to this church, and we were supposed to, you know, they offered. Uh, this guy who had a lot of money, he said, you know, you and your wife and you can stay in our place. And then, the kid, you know, the college guys can stay in this place, and the college girls could stay in this other place. And I'm like, no way, Jose. We're all going to stay in the church. We're all going to use sleeping bags, and my wife and I are going to brush our teeth with them, my wife and I are going to wake up with them. They're going to see us like this, you know, when you just wake up. Because we want to be with them. Because that's where, that's where discipleship happens. And uh, that, this concept, I didn't get it from, from the pulpit. I didn't get it from... I got it from when I saw someone like Henry and Wendy and people like Chris Shaw and other people who actually showed me this is how discipleship is supposed to be done. Um, right now we have a... Uh, I have this one guy who's... I'm on my way... Like, I'm missing my thesis to finish up my PhD in Argentina. I am still meeting with someone who's discipling me. His name is John Brown. And he's the smartest guy I've ever met. And he's the godliest person. He's so humble and so sweet and he's such a sweet person and we get together like since we've been here we get together like uh, once a week and we discuss things that are very profound things but we love it like and he's so humble that he's teaching me all these profound concepts and at the same time he's teaching me humility 
because when he shares those things, he's never proud. Character. He's not preaching to me about humility. He's showing me his humility. He, we were discussing about this profound subject, and suddenly he comes in and he says, and, and you can tell, like, if you met him, you would know he wasn't bragging or he wasn't uh, trying to teach you this or teach me this. He said this. He's trying to share an illustration, and he said, like, Nico, you know what? Um, this, I, I've never raised my voice to my wife, and, but, you know, this one day we were in the car, and I think the door opened up, and, and I, sc- and, you know, I, I screamed, like, shut the door or something like that. And he kept going with the illustration. It was an amazing illustration. I, I don't remember the illustration, how the illustration keeps going. All I remember is this. I have never screamed to my wife. That was convicting. That was sweet. He never meant to teach me that. He never. He was. It, he was. It was just a side uh, sentence for him. And I'm like, I like that. I'm gonna write that down in my mind, because I want to be like you in this area. I want to mimic you. I want to walk in the pattern that you're walking. Not just because it's Henry. It's because Henry, John, Chris, they're walking in this pattern that Jesus has walked, and I want to be like them. Annie and I have a, a, a couple that, we, that we've been hanging out since we've been here, and, and she is in charge, basically, of shepherding and pastoring all the, uh, like the, the wives of the missionaries down in Argentina. She's Colombian. Her name is Diana. And uh, so basically she talks to them by the phone once a month. She'll go down to Argentina once a year, and we, and we meet with them in a regular races one since we've been here. And this one day, not too long ago, one month ago, um, we're sitting, we're having supper, and it's Preston is his husband, her husband, Preston, uh, Diana, Annie, and I, and we're having supper. And suddenly, Preston and Diana say, you know, we, we do have our fights, and we do have, you know, we do have arguments, and he's 15-year-old, boy comes in and he he approaches and he says I that that's wrong that's not true I have never heard you have an argument with mom this is a 15 year old, 15 year old boy correcting his father who was trying to be open about his struggles who can witness that he has never heard a fight between the two of them. That taught me so much. I don't want to hear a sermon about, you know, having a good relationship with my wife. I want someone to open up his home and live a Christian life in front of me so I can see, okay, I want to follow that pattern. I don't need you to teach me. I don't need you to, to, to preach me about this. I can see it. I can see, I can hear your little 15-year-old boy and see that you guys are having an amazing marriage. So they are the ones that right now in this stage of life are helping us to become better, a better couple. And we, like Annie, we were, when we were driving here, Annie just shared with me, I just shared all my struggles with them, with Diana. And uh, I've opened up with her and I've shared this, 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 and that which is a little humbling. Some of the things are a little humbling for her. Some of the things are a little humbling for me. That's fine. As Henry was saying, that's, that's okay. That's okay. So those are the ones that are helping us right now. 
Annie and I live, actually, we live in a sixth floor in an eight-story apartment complex. And we live four blocks away from the church. We live one block away from our office. We live half a block away from the pastor's house. And we live half a block away from one of the campus's main buildings. So everybody has to pass by our place. <laughs> everybody. So uh, what we do is we have a little tool for our ministry tool is what we call mate. Maybe, Henry, when you, have you explained what it is? Okay, it's like an Argentine tea, and basically it's really common in Argentina to show up at someone's place and knock the, do knock the door or whatever, and they will say, hey, come on over, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of mate, or have, let's have mate together, and chat for two hours, three hours, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And they didn't say ahead of time they were coming. Oh, no way, no way. And it's not polite to tell, I'm busy, or no, no, no. They come in, and whatever they want to leave, they live. If it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm not exaggerating, it's okay. I mean, it's just the way culture functions. I mean, everybody goes to bed really late. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, the things that we do now is we, we try to get them involved in, in our lives. And we are uh, at a stage in life to where we can minister to, to, to people from 18 to 30 years old. So most of them are college students that uh, would come to our place and we, we would do many different things with them. But basically, one of the things we do, as I said before, one of the first thing is, okay, let me share what I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling with this. Right after that, I promise you, I mean, tons of things. They will come, I mean, they will share, you know, we've talked to people, and I'm, I hope I'm not out of place here, but we've talked to people that have struggled with being homosexual. And they open up to us and they say, well, these are our struggles. And, and this is our girl who struggling to be, to be, you know, not to be a lesbian girl. And she's a Christian and she's like trying to, uh, but she's opening up to us. She has opened up to us. And someone like this, our girl came to us and said, I was raped when I was a little girl. And she, she opened up and we counsel them and we, we, we try to love them. We, we have them like, we fix them lunch. Supper. We have them. We let them spend over a night with us. We wanna. We're praying. We've been praying for one year for one this one two-acre place, like uh, I don't know, 15 minutes away from from our place now. That has two little houses, really old, really old, but it has like two acres and two little houses. Because we want one little house for us and one little house for people to come over and spend over a night, missionaries and and just average people just to come here and spend over a night and open up a door for two minutes. Like they did, and just have them at home. And and one thing uh, that I wrote down that I didn't want you to miss was this: uh, never believe the lie that you are not teaching them something. Remember the story that I told you. Caroline Clay taught me how to love my wife, and she never meant to it. So never believe the lie that you're not teaching them something. When you open up your house, when you let them see your life, you are indeed teaching them something. You are. So maybe your kids are teaching them something. You are teaching them how to love on your wife, how to love on their wives, on their husbands, and, and on your kids. Like, I would love so much just to spend time with them and, and just, I would sit down and I would say nothing. Um, 
Watch this, actually. Philippians 4, 9. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Go back to verse 17. 317. It says, Brethren, join in following my example. Join me. But watch this. What's the commandment there? What do you have there? They're sleeping, I think. <laughs> What's the commandment there? After that, what does it say? And what? Observe. I have that underlined. Observe. Watch. Watch those who walk according to the pattern you've seen in us. So my job as a disciple is to be with my eyes open and observe and watch. Like my job as a disciple maker is to let them see. Does that make sense? So my job as a disciple maker is to include them in my daily life. Like if I pray, I let them come and pray with me. If I have a devotional time, we had a devotional time in Jonah and then I preached that passage. Come, join me. Like I've taught them hermeneutics, you know, how to interpret the Bible, and I never meant to it. We just had so many quiet times together that now they know how to interpret their own Bibles with these guys. And I never meant to. They just watched. They observed how it goes. And then they follow the same pattern. So I, the way I see it is like all I have to do is just open up for people to be able to observe that I am an imperfect human being who's trying to pursue Jesus Christ and become like him. And all I have to do is just try to put in their minds that they ought to be good observers of what they see, whether it is in my life, in my wife's life, or Henry's, or Wendy's. So a little challenge, practical challenge. If you go on vacation, take one guy with you, one girl with you. If you, like, I love this. Somebody told me they, they have this at church. They have a weekend, a discipleship weekend. You'll love this. It's a discipleship weekend. And you know what it is? They, they take uh, college people, and they, they, you will invite a college guy to a family for the weekend just to spend the weekend. No agenda whatsoever. And just spend the weekend with them. I would have loved that. When I was a single guy, I would have paid the world to spend a weekend with them, to spend a weekend with Chris Shaw, to spend a weekend with whoever. I would have paid the word. And now they do it as a, as a way of applying this. So open up your, your, your home for a weekend and let them see the kind of life that you're trying to live. Then you'll be in this, each one of these categories. They'll see you having a quiet time. They'll see you treating your wife correctly and blah, blah, blah. All these things. Road trips. Take a road trip with someone. If you have to drive, you're there alone. Take someone with you. Take someone to live at your place. I, I know that Henry has taken many people like to live with them for at least a month or a couple of weeks or something like that. So that's a little way to put this into practice. And I assure you that if we let them see our lives and if we have good e uh, eyes as well to watch on the ones that are training us, uh, these things that Henry has shown will happen. And Nico, do you still have your group, your evangelistic group that's training? How many are in that? There are 16 guys. 16 guys and girls? And how long have you all been, had that group? Two years. Okay. And so you teach them how to share their faith and you go on outings and go to, go to the park and just go up to people and talk with them about Christ. 
Great. Well, next week is our last week of this six. And as you can tell, I, I haven't, we haven't gotten into some of the more practical suggestions. My intention was never to give you a complete recipe because sometimes recipes obscure the work of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you think, well, we've got to do it this way or it won't work. And Americans are very, we're very, for some reason, very recipe-oriented. I'm not sure why that is. I, you notice it more when you've been away from America and you come back and think, there's a way to do everything, you know. <laughs> there are books on this stuff. People in Argentina, they, in their homes, they don't have cookbooks, do they? I mean, I mean, my mother has, you know, a hundred cookbooks. And down in Argentina, it's like, no, you just you throw it in, you know, and it's not all that exact and everything, and it's uh, more by the seat of the pants. So when I first met Nico, he was about 12 years old. And when he was 13, I don't know if you talked to him about that first little retreat we did, but uh, we had a we did a retreat, and it was... Um, is your sister older or younger than you? She's younger. So she was 12, you were 13, something like that. Or, and his brother, who was two years older than you, uh, 15. And I guess it was about 10 middle and high schoolers. And I had just had four years of trying to reach university students for Christ, and it had gone so poorly. Uh, in four years of working at it full time, we'd led four people to Christ, only two of which were students. That's counting everybody, you know. And before we finished the four years, two of them had fallen away. One of them moved away. And the only one left didn't want to be discipled. And I thought, they shouldn't pay me to do this. <laughs> um, and we came back on furlough. And I was beginning to wonder whether or not I was in the wrong profession, that uh, I'm just not good at this. And so when we finished our furlough, we went back to Argentina. And one of the first things I did and I can't remember exactly how the topic came up, but I ended up doing this little retreat down there. But I was feeling very badly about myself. And uh, But I just, it was fun to get, get a group together, and, and I'd never done much with high school students and middle school students. And I used the overhead projector and shared the bridge illustration in silhouette. I'd cut things out of cardboard, so you had the cliffs, you know, and the cross and, and everything. And just about all of them wanted to pray to receive Christ, and I was thinking, well, you know, they probably didn't get it, you know. Um, <laughs> who knows, well, you know. I was so pessimistic about my ministerial uh, abilities at that point. And, uh, and I'd seen, and, you know, Nico was a wild man out on the, the soccer field and just kind of a wild and crazy middle schooler. And so I just wasn't all that sanguine about how things were, you know, what, what would transpire after that. But getting to watch him uh, grow up, sometimes we didn't, would go years without having much contact, and other times we'd, we'd be together a lot. But just amazed to see uh, his heart for God and, and the times he would uh, pray and cry and struggle with Deep, deeper th thoughts than I'd ever had. <laughs> That's why I didn't struggle. I didn't even have the thought. <laughs> I don't even understand it when he's explaining it to me. <laughs> but he says, well, I'll be praying for you, whatever that is. <laughs> and he'd work his way through it, and he would wrestle with God and uh, to see how God is blessing him now. And, and two years ago, when we were on our missions trip, the pastor, uh, Ruben Lucas, said, there's this girl I want you to meet, Henry. I think she'd really be good for Nico. So she came by, and I, I met her, and she was 
you know, interested in discipleship and different things. And, and that day, a little later on, Nico came over to where the team was working at this church, and, and, he, uh, and he met Annie. So it was really exciting that, that the Lord led them together. Okay, well, let me close in prayer. Lord, who are you? What kind of a God is this that invades time and space and finds people like us and wants us on your team and in your family? And as much as we fail, you say, it doesn't matter. I want to be with you forever. And whatever problems there are, I'm going to take care of it. And anything that you do bad that reflects on me, uh, I'll deal with it. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. We want to see the whole world hear about this kind of a God and this kind of a Savior. Take us further than we ever thought of going, Lord. And glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.